All right, well, we're going to get into the teaching of the Word today, and we're actually going to continue exploring the story of the book of Esther. So last Sunday, Ben did a phenomenal job. I listened to the podcast, and man, when Ben was like, don't bow down to Haman, and I was just getting all fired up. I was like, yeah, don't bow down to Haman. And so, Ben, thank you for, for bringing us that, that understanding of Haman and of Mordecai and, and diving into that. And so we continued finishing the book of Esther this week in our Rooted Bible reading, and so I wanted to dig a little bit more into this story. And, and I have to be honest with you here, all right? This is confession time that, uh, you know, sometimes I didn't grow up in church. I didn't go to church till I was 22. But, you know, you, you get the Sunday school version of a Bible story, and it's usually a, a cleaned up, simplified version of the story because a lot of times, you know, it's taught to kids and they want kids to understand it. But, you know, you get the Sunday school version of a Bible story and then you just kind of accept that that's the story and you don't dig any deeper into it for yourself. Right? See, that was me with the book of Esther. All right. So I am confessing that that until a couple of months ago, I did not have a full understanding of this book. I had just accepted the cleaned up, simplified version of the story, which is that all the Jews were going to be executed. But then Esther went to the king and asked him to save the Jews and he saved the Jews. And that was it. And now that, that, that's not incorrect. That is the story, but it's a lot more complex than that. It's a lot messier than that. And so when I was studying the book of Esther a couple of months ago, uh, knowing that this day was coming, I, I was blown away. I was like, this, is, this was difficult. There, there, there's some stuff in here. And so, so I'm kind of excited today. I'm sharing this because uh, this was fresh for me, and maybe it's fresh for you. If you've just accepted the Sunday school version of the book of Esther for all these years, then you might hear something new today. And, and so we're just going to dig into this, and we're going to see what, what God teaches us and, and what God speaks to us. So, yes, it is accurate that Esther went to the king. And that she put her life on the line going to the king, right? Because in those days in the Persian Empire, you did not come to the king unless he called you. Even if you were the queen, even if you were the wife of the king, you did not come to the king unless he called you. And Esther put her life on the line by going to the king without being called. And she found favor with the king. And he didn't get angry at her. He didn't execute her. Instead, he listened to her. And so we know that Esther went to the king on behalf of the Jews to try to save the Jewish people. But she did not just petition the king once. She actually petitioned the king three times. Three different things she accomplished when she went to her husband. The first one is what Ben opened up for us last week. In Esther chapter 7, she went to the king and she exposed Haman. Right, And when she exposed Haman and she exposed the evil of his plan and, and his anger and his jealousy against Mordecai and against the Jewish people, what ended up happening? Haman was hung on the gallows that he built. And can we just pause right there for a second and consider that? That Haman was hung on the gallows that he built. So I think there's a lesson right there that we need to just camp out on here for just a second. What is that lesson? Don't build gallows. Don't build gallows. 
Because you start building gallows, who knows? You might be the one hanging from it. And you say, what does that mean, Pastor? You're talking figuratively here. Well, we build gallows when we start passing judgment on people. We build gallows when we start holding bitterness and anger and hatred in our heart against people. We start building gallows when we start wishing bad things upon people. When we start wanting them to get what they deserve. God, give them what they deserve. We start building gallows, right? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, don't go pointing out the speck in your brother's eye unless you're willing to deal with the log in your own eye. So that's the first thing that we can learn today is don't go building gallows because you might find yourself facing judgment in the same judgment that you were holding on to in your heart. Haman was hung on the gallows that he built, So that was the first time that Esther petitioned the king was to expose Haman. But she petitions him two more times, once in chapter 8 and again in chapter 9. And that's what we read at the beginning of this week, and that's what we're going to dig into right now. Esther chapter 8, and her second petition begins in verse 5. And then she said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor before him, and the matter seems proper to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people? And how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? So her first petition of the king was to expose Haman. Her second petition to the king was to save the Jewish people. She said, if I have found favor with you, king, would you please cancel the decree, the day of execution of the Jewish people? Now, they had chosen a day, and it's interesting that Haman actually was rolling dice to choose the day, right? He left it up to chance. And so they rolled the dice to choose the day that would be the execution day for the Jews. And the dice ended up falling on the 13th day of Adder, which Adder, of course, being the the Jewish calendar. How that applies to our calendar today is that it was probably right around June. The Jewish calendar and our calendar don't line up, so you can't get like an exact day to an exact day. That's why Easter falls on a different Sunday every year, because the calendars don't line up. But it was probably sometime in June, which is when we are right now. So the day of execution for the Jewish people was the 13th day of the month of Adar, or Adar, or however you pronounce that word. And so they had chosen that day. That was the day of execution. And so Haman had written the decree. The king had signed it, put his signet ring in it, and the edict had gone out to the entire Persian Empire. And so now Esther is going to the king and saying, O king, will you please cancel the decree? And again, here was my ignorance of the Bible story. I thought that's what happened. I just thought that the... The king canceled the decree, and the Jews were all okay. But that is not what happened. Let's let's read this some more. Picking it up in in verse 7. 
So King Ahasuerus, which is also another name for King Xerxes, so King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given the house of Haman to Esther, and him they have hanged on the gallows, because he had stretched out his hand against the Jews. Now you write to the Jews as you see fit in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. And this is the key part. Listen to this. For a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. The king did not have the authority to revoke his own edict. Once it was written and signed and declared, it could not be revoked. And so King Xerxes says to Esther, he says, listen, I want to help the Jewish people. But I cannot cancel the decree of the execution day. He says, so I'm going to give it to you and to Mordecai to figure it out. You write a different decree to help the Jewish people. The king could not cancel the decree. No edict of the king could be revoked. Right? And this is true of our Father God, right? No edict of God could be revoked. Listen, the Old Testament was not revoked. The Old Testament was fulfilled. No edict of the king can be revoked. And so even the edict of the king over our lives that says that the punishment for sin is death and that sin separates us from God and that God is holy and so only holiness can be in his presence. And since we have sin in our lives, we are not holy and we cannot be in his presence. And therefore, we are going to face eternal judgment as a consequence for the sin in our lives. That is an edict of the king, and it cannot be revoked. God cannot take it away, even if he wants to. So what did God do instead? He found another way. And he came to earth in the form of a man named Jesus. And rather than revoking the edict... He fulfilled the edict, right? Because it was established in the Old Testament that blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin and that the blood of the Passover lamb had to be a perfect, spotless lamb. And since there was no perfect human being, nobody could shed blood for the forgiveness of sin. And so what did God do? He came as a perfect human being, and he shed blood for the forgiveness of sin so that we don't have to face eternal judgment for our sin, so that we don't have to be separate from God. Now we can come into his presence. We can be close to him, and we're going to live with him for all eternity. Why? Because the edict wasn't revoked. It was fulfilled. No edict of the king can be revoked. And so at this point now, we have Esther and Mordecai who have been told, you have the authority of the king to write a new edict, but you cannot revoke the old edicts. So they needed some wisdom. What are we going to do? We're in verse 9 now of chapter 8. 
So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month. That is the month Sivan on the 23rd day. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces, which extended from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to every province according to its script, and to every people according to their language, as well as to the Jews according to the script in their language. So this is a great description of the Persian Empire at this time. It was made up of 127 provinces. It stretched from India in Asia all the way to Ethiopia in northern Africa, right? This was a vast empire. So many different ethnicities, languages, people groups. But the interesting thing is that in the midst of that also included Israel. It also included Jerusalem. And what do we know about Jerusalem at this time? It didn't have any walls, right? Because even though Nehemiah comes before Esther in our Bible, Nehemiah actually happens after Esther because the Jews didn't care about chronological order when they put things together. And so we know that we're talking about Jerusalem with no city walls, no way to defend itself, and an execution day already on the calendar. So what did Mordecai and Esther come up with? Verse 10, he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring and sent letters by couriers on horses riding on steeds sired by the royal stud. In them, the king granted the Jews who were in each and every city the right to assemble and to defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the entire army of any people or province which might attack them, including children and women, and to plunder the spoil on one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, the 13th day of the 12th month, that is, the month of Adar. So what did they come up with? They decided we can't cancel the execution day. So instead, what we're going to do is we are going to give the Jews authority and permission to fight back, to defend themselves. Not only are we going to give them the authority and the permission, we are going to give them all the resources they need to fight back and to defend themselves. What does that mean? That means that this story is a lot messier than the Sunday school version because it wasn't just an edict of the king that saved the Jews. No, the execution day was still coming, and it was going to be a day of absolute warfare as the Jews had to defend themselves. Now, if we look at the calendar... We know that Haman wrote the original edict in the month of Nisan, which is the first month of the Jewish ecclesiastical calendar, which happens to fall uh, right around early March in our calendar, right? Anywhere from early to mid-late March would be the month of Nisan. So we know that it was right around um, early to... Actually, no, I take that back. It's actually late March into April because the month of Nisan is also when we get Easter. And so that's why Easter is always late March into April. So uh, the month of Nisan is when Haman wrote the edicts. Now, of course, he had rolled the dice, and, and we believe that God was sovereign in controlling the roll of that dice when the dice fell on the 12th month of Adar, 
which is what falls in early March in our calendar. So when the edict was declared, there was an entire year, almost a full 12 months before the execution day was going to come. Now, we know that it was the month of Sivan, which falls right around June in our calendar, when Mordecai wrote a new edict and sent it out and said that the Jews could defend themselves. Now, what does that mean? That means that the Jewish people had nine months to prepare for the 13th day of Adar. They had nine months to prepare to defend themselves. What did they do in that nine months? We don't know because the Bible doesn't say. But can we take a moment to speculate that in that nine months, they learned how to make weapons? And they made weapons, and they learned how to make shields, and they made shields, and they made helmets, and that they learned how to fight. And maybe they had a nine-month boot camp where they got all their men together and took their men through boot camp to teach them how to fight. Because this was a day, not an easy day of freedom or liberation. No, this was a day of warfare that was coming. And they were given nine months by God to prepare themselves for this one day of warfare. So what is God teaching us? Well, we love the stories where God just wins the battle and all we have to do is show up, right? We love those stories. I love the story of King Jehoshaphat, right, when the the, the kings all gathered together to march against the southern kingdom of Judah, and, and Jehoshaphat was freaked out, and so they fasted and prayed, and they got a prophetic word, and they put the worshipers out front, and by the time they showed up to the battlefield, everybody was already dead, and it took them three days to gather the plunder because God won the battle for them, right? We love those stories. We love the stories where we don't have to fight. All we got to do is show up, and God already won. But that's not every story in the Bible, and that's not every story of our lives. Those stories are great when they happen, but what about this story? What about the story of the Jews in the book of Esther? God didn't show up and win the battle for them. He gave them nine months' notice, gave them all the resources and everything that they need so that they could prepare for the day of battle. And I just believe that God is speaking to us today through the book of Esther, that God says there is a battle on the horizon. There is a battle that you must fight. There is a war that is coming. And I have given you the resources that you need to win this battle. I have given you the time that you need to prepare for this battle. But it is your responsibility to put the work in, to prepare yourself for the day of warfare. And it is your responsibility on the day of warfare to stand up and to fight. Now, if you will stand up and fight, God says, I will be with you and you will win, but you have to stand up and fight. And if you choose not to stand up and fight, you will not win. In fact, you will face execution. When the 13th day of the month of Adder came, any Jew who refused to fight would have been killed on that day. Any Jew who refused to fight would have been executed on that day. Right? It's amazing what we can accomplish when we have no choice but to fight. Right? It is amazing what we can accomplish when we have no choice but to fight. There was the story of a rich man 
who had this large plantation. He had a huge mansion, and he had all this property and beautiful land, and he loved to throw big parties just to invite people to his property to show off all of his riches. And one of the things that he had in his yard was he had this pool, and the pool was filled with alligators. And he would gather people at his party, and he would say, if anybody can swim through my pool of alligators, when you get out on the other end, I'll give you whatever you want. Anything you ask for, I will give you whatever you want. And he would throw these parties, and he would lay down this challenge, and of course, nobody would ever jump in the pool until this one night. And he lays down the challenge. And, of course, everybody's laughing because they go through this over and over again. Nobody ever jumps in the pool. But right when he makes the challenge, they hear a splash. And everybody's shocked. (gasps) What's going on? And all of a sudden, there's all kinds of thrashing in the water as the alligators are moving. And there's a guy in the water. And he's splashing. And he's trying to kick off alligators. He's trying to get through the water. And there's all of this mayhem and water spraying everywhere. And people are screaming and shouting. But wouldn't you know it, this guy fights his way through, climbs out the other end of the pool. Now there's jubilation. Everybody's shouting and cheering, and and, and he's standing there on the edge of the pool just trying to catch his breath. (gasps) And the rich man comes over to him, and he says, I can't believe this. I've never seen this. I didn't think anybody would ever do this. He says, I'll give you anything you want. Just tell me, what do you want? And the man's trying to catch his breath. (gasps) I want, I want, I want to know who pushed me in. It's amazing what we can accomplish when we have no choice but to fight. Somebody pushes us in, and we either fight or we die. And that's the reality of what the Jews were facing on the 13th of Adar. You either fight or you die. And I believe there's some warfare in our lives. There is some warfare in our families, in our relationships. There is some warfare over our dreams and our ministry callings. There is some warfare. And we have no idea how much we can accomplish and how great our victory can be until we decide to stand up and fight. And so in the meantime, are we preparing ourselves? Are we making swords? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Are we getting the Word of God into our spirit? Are we memorizing Bible verses? Are we digging into the Word? Are we soaking in it? Are we meditating on it? Are we chewing on it? Are we studying it? Come on, our shield is faith, right? The shield is the shield of faith. Are we growing our faith? Are we growing our faith through spending intimate time in the presence of God? Going to the secret place and growing our faith because the more we know God, the more faith we have. Are we growing our faith by stepping out and being obedient to the things that God has told us to do? And that every time we step out in obedience and we see God come through, our faith grows a little bit bigger and our shield is a little bit stronger. Are we learning how to battle and fight? Are we learning how to pray and intercede? Are we learning how to worship and do spiritual warfare? Are we taking a stand where God has told us to take a stand? What are we doing in the meantime? Because what we do in the meantime 
will determine if we're going to win on the day of battle. For the Jews, their meantime was nine months. They had the privilege of knowing the exact day the battle was going to come. We don't always have that privilege. We don't know the exact day the battle is going to come. So in the meantime, we need to be preparing for war. And when the day comes to fight, will we stand up and fight? God says you'll win, but you got to stand up. And if you don't stand up, you might face the executioner's blade. Whew, come on. I haven't preached for three weeks, man. I am full today. Hallelujah. Chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adder, on the thirteenth day when the king's command and edict were about to be executed, on the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, it was turned to the contrary so that the Jews themselves gained the mastery over those who hated them. Come on, I love this line. The Jews gained mastery over the ones who wanted to have mastery over them. The Jews gained mastery over the ones who wanted to have mastery over them. Come on, it is time to stand up and fight, and it is time to declare to those things that want to have mastery over your life, to declare to those things, you might want to master my life, but today I'm going to stand up and fight, and I am going to win, and I am going to have mastery over you. Come on, we got to make some declarations today, right? Addiction, you are not going to have mastery over me. Today, I'm going to stand up and fight, and I'm going to have mastery over you. Come on, pornography, I'm going to have mastery over you today. You do not get to win because I am going to stand up and fight. Come on, selfishness, you don't get to win today. Pride, you are not going to master me. Fear, you don't get to win today, fear. I'm going to master fear today because I am going to stand up and fights. Come on, bitterness, you don't get to win. Come on, devil, you aren't going to have mastery over me today. Your plans are canceled in the name of Jesus Christ, and God's plans are going to rule in my life. It's time to gain mastery over those things which would want to have mastery over you. Anxiety, sickness, depression, prodigal family members, and the fear and the anxiety that comes over seeing our family split up. We are going to have mastery over the things that want to have mastery over us. So it's interesting, as we read this here, and I didn't mark the verse, and so I'm not going to take time to find it, but it's somewhere there in either chapter 8 or chapter 9 that it says that in the nine months of preparation, many people became Jewish, right? They had a revival of Jewish converts. Why? Because they could see that the authority of the king was with the Jews and that the resources of the king was with the Jews and that the Jews had the upper hand and they didn't want to be on the wrong side when the 13th day of Adder came and so they converted to Judaism. We said, hallelujah, we're children of Abraham. We're with you guys. Wouldn't it be amazing if we saw revival breakouts because people in our community saw that we had the authority of the king? the resources of the king, and that the favor of the king was upon our lives? 
and people wanted to be on our side, whew, come on. So we see that over this nine months, many people became Jews, but there were still some who were still looking forward to this day. They had such hatred in their hearts against the Jewish people. They had such a desire to wipe them out that even though the Jewish people had the king's authority, the king's resources, and the king's favor, they still decided to go after the Jews on the 13th of Ab. And what happened? It was all-out warfare. And 75,000 people of the Persian Empire were slaughtered that day at the hands of the Jewish people. Now, remember, I say this all the time, but I, I think it's so important to keep repeating. When we take principles from the Old Testament and apply them to our lives in the New Testament, it is critical that we remember that in the Old Testament, people were the enemy. In the New Testament, our enemy is only spiritual. It is Satan and his demons and the evil spirits that have their way in this world. People are not the enemy. And so we take the principles from this story, but we do not use the principles of this story against people. We use the principle of, of this story against Satan and against his demons and his spirits. And so the slaughter that is going to happen at our hands is not the wounding of people. The slaughter that is going to happen at our hands is the driving back of the kingdom of darkness, the defeat of his demons, and the breaking down of all of his strategies and his strongholds and his purposes over our lives. There is going to be great warfare. Man, the devil hates us. Just as much as these people in Persia had so much hatred towards the Jews that they were willing to fight them even though the Jews were allowed to fight back. There was such a hatred. Man, the devil hates us just as much. He hates us just as much. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. And the devil is just looking for a day of execution where he can steal everything from our lives and where he can kill us and take our lives. Right? This is not a, I guess what I should say is there is no way to overestimate how much the devil hates us. There's no way to overdo it. There's no word that I could use that would be too superlative to get us to understand how much the devil hates us. And that no matter how much authority you have from God, no matter how much of the favor of God you have on your life, he is still going to attack you. Not because he thinks he can win, but because he hates you that much. He is still going to attack you. We just have to stand up and fight. And if we will stand up and fight, we will win. But we got to fight. We got to fight. I'm going to close with this. Let me have... Uh, Sugi and the team come back up here today. I told you there was three petitions of Esther. In the first one in chapter 7, she exposed Haman. In her second petition in chapter 8, she saved the Jewish people. Now her third petition here in chapter 9. And in verse 13, it has come to the end of the day, the 13th of Adar. The day of execution is coming to a close. But Esther's not done. Come on, somebody needs to hear that today. Esther's not done. Just because the day is drawing to a close doesn't mean that we're done. 
Verse 13, then said Esther, if it pleases the king, let tomorrow also be granted to the Jews who are in Susa to do according to the edict of today, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. Her third petition of the king is give us one more day to make sure we complete this thing. The one more day she asked for was only in the capital city of Susa. So when the 13th of Adar was done, the rest of the empire was back to peace, and the Jews had preserved themselves at a great slaughter. But Esther says, here in the capital, O king, would you give us one more day to make sure we get this thing right? And why was she asking for one more day? Because at the end of the day, the ten sons of Haman were still alive. And she did not want to stop until they had complete victory. And that's what I think God wants us to hear today. She did not want to stop until she had complete victory. Ben did a phenomenal job last Sunday of opening up to us the story of 1 Samuel chapter 15 where King Saul was given the command to completely wipe the Amalekites off the face of the earth. Man, woman, and child, every single one of them. And I know genocide like that is difficult for us to wrestle with today and in the moral code of our culture today. And so a lot of people struggle with the Old Testament for that very reason. But listen, we need to understand the grace and the mercy and the patience of our God. That any people group that he executed judgment against, he did not execute judgment until he gave them not only decades, but centuries to repent. And he did not treat the Jews any differently than he treated the other nations. When the Jews refused to repent, he executed judgment against them as well. God did not order the execution of judgment against any people group unless he had given them centuries, centuries to repent. And so in 1 Samuel 15, Saul was supposed to completely wipe out the Amalekites. And Ben taught us last week, he did not. And because he did not, hundreds of years later in the Persian Empire, a descendant of the Amalekite king by the name of Haman tried to wipe out the Jews again. And yes, Haman had already been hung on the gallows, but he had ten sons. And as long as those ten sons remained alive, the hatred that burned against the Jews would continue and the victory would not be complete. And so Esther wanted complete victory. She wanted to fulfill the command of God that happened all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 15. She wanted to make sure the job got done, and so she went back to the king and said, King, give us one more day to get this thing right. And I just want to encourage you today. We all have different fights to fight. But we are God's people. We are his church. We don't fight alone. We fight together. The Jewish people did not fight alone on the 13th of Adar. They fought together. And we all have different fights. Fights of mental illness. Fights of addiction. Fights of pride. Fights of bitterness. Fights for physical health. Fights for barriers and obstacles that keep holding us back from our ministry calling and our ministry dreams. We all have fights to fight, but we fight them together. 
But the word I want you to leave with today is this. Do not settle for anything except complete victory. Do not settle for anything except complete victory. If the job's not done, keep fighting. If the job's not done, ask God for another day. If the job's not done, keep going. Don't settle for anything less than complete victory over that thing that would want to stop you from fulfilling God's call for your life. Don't stop until you have complete victory. Esther said, King, give us one more day to make sure that this line of the Amalekites finally stops. And wouldn't you know it, on the 14th day of Adar, they hung the ten sons of Haman. And then they declared peace. And they established a feast and a celebration that the Jews still celebrate today. The funny thing is, some of them celebrated on the 14th of Adar, and some of them celebrated on the 15th of Adar, because peace came on different days for the different people, depending on what city they lived in. And they're still celebrating that victory today. Can we be a people that together see every victory that God intended us to win? Because in the meantime, we prepared ourselves. Because when the day of battle come, came, we stood up and we fought. And when the day came to a close, we refused to stop fighting until we saw complete victory. Come on, if we'll do those three things together as a church, nothing will stop us. Nothing will stop us. Will you stand together with me? Come on, you give him praise. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Lord, we give ourselves to you this day. Thank you for this beautiful day that we could stand here in the glory of your creation. Thank you for the technology with which we've invited so many people on our digital campus to join us in this moment. That, Lord, we have celebrated your presence. We have declared your word. And today, we're going to stand as a people of victory. Thank you that your word was given to us, that we could learn lessons from the past to find victory in our today. And so, Lord, we declare victory today. We declare, Lord, anything that would want to master our lives, that we would stand up and fight and we would gain mastery over that which would master us. Come on, today, Lord, put a fight in our spirits. Today, Lord, give us the wisdom that if there's not a fight today, then it's a day of preparation. Come on, if there's not a fight today, then today is a day of preparation so that when the fight comes tomorrow, we'll be ready. The fight will not find us sitting idly by. The fight will find us ready because we use the day of preparation to get all that we need. Let us be a people that are prepared. Let us be a people that are together. Let us be a people of spiritual warfare that we will see the victory. We will break down walls. We will cancel addictions. We will restore marriages. Come on, we'll see minds renewed. We'll see it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Breathe life into our lungs today. Let us leave here refreshed, encouraged, strengthened, ready for the fight. We declare victory today. 
Nothing gets to win against us. Nothing gets to win against us because our God is with us. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen.